Tell us a little bit about what you saw and, and, and being able to relay that message to Cora when you watched Kimbrel pitch and, and kind of help out so he wasn't uh, tipping his pitches. So tipping pitches, we hear about it all the time. People at home understand what tipping pitches is all about. It's amazing, man. And that's remarkable. All right, welcome back to Arizona Diamondbacks Power Hour. This is a podcast about the Arizona Diamondbacks. Alex, we're fired up today. There's a lot going on. I got a rant queued up. I got a two-hour rant. It's going to be sports radio style. The Diamondbacks are blowing it up. I don't know what the hell's going on. Can you tell me what's going on? You know, Bobby, this is uh, this is really tough to watch. Polly, Polly G, that's, uh, that was my colloquial nickname for him. We were close friends. Um, it's going to be tough to watch him walk away. Best first baseman in the history of the game. He might be. <laughs> And uh, and who who'd we get back for him? Some some no name catcher, some guy who who catches the ball sometimes. Yeah, you're a baseball player. That's <laughs> you're supposed to do that. I mean, come on. <laughs> hey, listen, Alex. If there's one bright side here, at least the rest of the country gets to watch Paulie. They'll finally appreciate him. I've been telling people for years they don't appreciate my man Paulie. Paulie G. <laughs> I love I love that you've slowly uh, your, your your accent has like slowly morphed over the over the course of this bit. All right, we're going to move on and get to the news of the week. But before we do, I'm Bobby Wagner, the New Yorker, transplanted to be a Arizona Sports Talk radio host. <laughs> and I am Alex Faisley. And this is Tipping Pitches. Alex, Paul Goldschmidt, Arizona Diamondbacks, got traded to the St. Louis Cardinals this past week which is the worst fucking thing in the entire world. Can we agree on that? I just love Paul Goldschmidt, and I hate the Cardinals so much. Yeah. Um, in exchange for Luke Weaver, Carson Kelly, and Andy Young. I think Carson Kelly was like has been a big... Both of those guys, those last two guys, have been big prospects for the Cardinals for a little while, but didn't quite pan out, I guess, how they expected it to. But also Carson Kelly, who has been the Cardinals' biggest catching prospect for a while now, kind of just... Hasn't really gotten a chance. You and I were talking before the pod started, but like Yadier Molina is just going to death grip that position until he dies. And like, why not? So, um, so yeah, that's the blockbuster news for the week. You tweet, you were tweeting from the tipping pitches account about how great Paul Goldschmidt is and about how nobody really talks about him. Is that, is that true? Do people not really talk about him? I feel like he, he's in the perennial MVP conversation. I just feel like maybe people don't really just talk about baseball players in this way. Cause I don't know. He doesn't get the love that like Mike Trout gets, but I think he gets like, yeah, maybe you're right. Now that I'm I thinking mean, about it, <laughs> I, I feel like within like inner baseball circles, right? Like people who follow baseball closely, yeah, you know who Paul Goldschmidt is, and you know that he's good, but he doesn't play in the biggest market. He plays in Arizona, um, and I don't know. He's like, I, I, I mean, I said this in the tweet, but the guy would have a Hall of Fame case if he debuted like two or three years earlier. Like he is consistently, yeah. I mean, he's been one of the best first basemen of the last decade or so. And I feel like you, I mean, he's already, I guess he's going into his year 31 season. Um, Which is wild. Yeah, it is wild. Uh, but like, he's really good. And I I, I think he just doesn't, uh, doesn't always get the his due, right? I mean, I don't think that a casual baseball fan would put like Miguel Cabrera and Paul Goldschmidt together as the two best first basemen of the last five or six years, but there's like a case to be made for that. 
Well, him and Joey Votto, who he'll now join in the same division. Yeah, Those true. two have had uh, the top two OPSs in the NL since 2012, which is may- maybe not when Paul Goldschmidt debuted, but when he Yeah, that was basically his first team. full season. Yeah, exactly. And he's been an all-star for the last six seasons. So, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe he doesn't get as much appreciation as he should, but I think you and I both appreciate him, though we don't talk about him as much because there's not, I mean, there's not a ton to talk about. He's just a, he's a baseball machine. Yeah. Um, and we don't live in Arizona, so I don't know a ton about him. I do know, however, that he is uh, an incredibly handsome guy whose face will become punchable now that he's wearing a Cardinals uniform. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it really does. I have his baseball reference page up, and it just it's already transformed a little bit. You know, like it, it's gone from really kind of uh, cute, humble guy to just kind of it looks like he's smirking at you know, you, you, know, know. you know, like it, like there's something about that hat that just changes everything. I know. I just picture Tony Larusa behind him, and uh, that's all. That's all I picture. I, I don't need any more, you know. <laughs> so yeah, that wasn't the only reason we started off this podcast with a stupid Arizona talk radio impression. The other reason is because the uh, the Diamondbacks are kind of just blowing it up, and not necessarily just through trades. Like the Goldschmidt thing is obviously a little bit of a white flag. They didn't feel like they could re-sign him, though they tried over the last year or two to extend him and it just wasn't really working out, I guess, because they didn't want to cut the check in light of having, you know, like Zach Greinke making almost $30 million a year for them. But they also have basically punted on being able to re-sign AJ Pollock and he's had a lot of injury issues with them, so it's not really the best fit. And they've more than punted on being able to sign Patrick Corbin because the other piece of news that we got in this past week over the course of like eight minutes and 15 seconds from when we first heard about it to when it was actually a done deal is that Patrick Corbin is going to be a Washington national for six years and $140 million. So I'm mad because Patrick Corbin is good and the nationals are still good. And now the NL East is maybe the best division in baseball. So um, tough look for me as a Mets fan, but uh, I know you had some, some lighter predictions for Patrick Corbin going into this offseason about how much money he would make. Is there a reason why? Is it that Tommy John is the injury concerns or is it just that he's showed some decline in the last year or two or what? Eh, I just get wary about paying a lot of money over a long period of time for guys who are like creeping towards 30. Um, Yeah. And that's really all it amounts to, you know, I mean like, and maybe that makes me sound like a like a front office shill, but uh, but you know it's just wary about like knowing what these aging curves look like. And I mean, Patrick Corbin was incredible this past year. Like, I don't even think I really realized it until I went and looked at his page. But I mean, you know, he came in fifth in Cy Young voting and he struck out close to two hundred fifty guys. So he's definitely still good and like you said the nationals are going to remain good they're going to lose a generational talent and still have a chance to vie for the division title so fun time to be an nl east fan especially since like soto is just gonna slot right in and be another generational talent yeah it's so frustrating to see a team that actually knows how to develop young players and sign people in the offseason but anyway we'll leave my mets angst out of this i want to talk about one more thing with patrick corbin first uh why isn't he a yankee because he's been rumored to the yankees for essentially like 18 months yeah i know and it's not like they don't have the money it's not like they haven't been saving up money for a while does this i'm not trying to have you like 
read the tea leaves here, but do you think this like makes it more likely that they go all in for like a Machado or a Harper? Or do you think that they just were hard and fast about this is how much money we want to pay for a guy like this? Because that doesn't really strike me as the Yankees MO to be like, we need a starting pitcher, but we're going to set this hard cap because we don't have the money. That's not really Yankees baseball. Yeah, it feels like they are probably going to, I mean, you know, the Yankees never sit still, right? So it probably means that if they were like, yeah, we're not going to go over this number. It's not just because they wanted to pocket it. It's probably because they knew they had that money allotted for somewhere else. So maybe we see Manny Machado in pinstripes. Maybe we see Bryce in pinstripes. Much as that uh, brings a little vomit up my throat, um, I I think that we've uh, we've seen that one coming for for kind of a while now. So yeah, I can't predict what they're going to do, but other than the fact that they're going to be good. That's my prediction. I'm going on record with that one. Good. Good prediction. It's so useless to try to predict who's going to sign where. Because like you forget that there's 30 teams and like 30 people in all 30 front offices. And, they, and there's like 15 people who have a say in each player's decision and all this stuff. Like it's so useless to try to predict this. Because all of the stuff about Bryce Harper has just straight up been rumors. I mean, it's like there's not substantiated at all about Bryce Harper to the Yankees. Like it was solely just because the Yankees have a lot of money and Bryce was going to need a big contract. But the stuff about Patrick Corbin seemed pretty real. You know, it seemed like Cashman was essentially flirting with Patrick Corbin for the last year. And Patrick Corbin was like, would love to would love to see myself in pinstripes, you know, and then all of a sudden he's a national. And there was that like weird story that came out like last week about. Patrick Corbin's wedding and like his his brother who was the best man like during his speech like pulled out a Yankees cap and put it on Patrick or something like that and (laughs) it was like like, this is kind of we're crossing a line here this is not just like cute reporting anymore this is this is all very weird um yeah it's it's kind of bizarre I love that um that last week we had a whole conversation about like how every trade is telegraphed and we know every move before it actually happens like nothing like hits us by surprise like every little development gets tweeted out and something like that and this week we're like yeah we were totally blindsided by this one had no idea it was coming and it broke in about eight seconds (laughs) it just shows that baseball is not predictable yeah i was going into a recording as the news started and by the time i came out it was done (laughs) i will i i want to take this one last moment of talking about these two things to relish the fact that it's such an elite moment in my life when the Yankees miss out on a player. It's so great. <laughs> when somebody spurns the Yankees, it just feels so fucking good. So, yeah. I mean, I guess that's a double-edged sword because now he's in my division, but shout out you, Patrick. Great work. <laughs> I love uh, I love going through baseball players' timelines because like, they are pretty boring people, honestly. Like, I know we want our, uh, our athletes to be fun and interesting, and uh, Trevor Bauer certainly takes that to heart and tries to, you know, keep the keep everyone's interest on him all the time. But uh, but like Duran Pat- jokes is funny. <laughs> Patrick Corbin just like tweets about Syracuse. He has multiple times on the timeline where the back to back tweets are just oranges, just orange emojis, and that's it. That's the whole tweet. <laughs> and you're like, you know, I appreciate you're really sticking to your guns on this one. If you go back to like. 2012 he just tweets about like how he's at the mall 
or he's tweeting at Adam Schefter about why Michael Vick isn't playing today. Like Adam Schefter is just going to respond to this guy's inquiry about uh, the football player being out. Like it's it's bizarre. Extremely relatable. Yeah. Extremely relatable. Tweeting about like, you know, just like being at the mall. That's <laughs> Mario Kart on the Wii before the start. Okay, you go get him, Tyler. <laughs> uh, Tyler. <laughs> Patrick. <laughs> Who's Tyler Corbin? That sounds like a person. I don't know. It's because right below it is a tweet at Tyler Skaggs. All right. You have any last tidbits that you want to throw out at us about Paul Goldschmidt, Paul Goldschmidt's balding head, <laughs> Cardinals? Keep you know we got to keep the hair beat up, man. You want, do you want to hit me with some Paul Goldschmidt hair takes? Uh, should we well, should we do I a mean, little, a I little Rog- have, I Rogaine about, promo for him? I don't know about takes plural, but I just have one take. If you want to hear that, and my take is that he should always keep a hat on because he looks great with it, and he has more hair on his jawline than he does on his head. Yeah, I mean this is true about every every baseball player, pretty much, except for. Do you think Bryce there's Harper. some scientific thing to it? Like, do you think that it's because they wear a hat so much that it like kills the hair follicles? Like that could be a thing, right? I I think that that's pro. There's probably some some truth to that. We're just spouting out fake science now. That's what yeah. the podcast is about. That's so probably true. not true. <laughs> right? That's I mean, like, I wear hats a lot too. And my yeah, hair is doing, but not doing like okay. on a daily basis for hours at a time. You don't know me. You don't know if I wear a hat to work every day. Do hats impact hair growth? Mm, looks like the, the source of healthy hair growth is inside the body. There's what no scientific research that shows hats can cause hair loss. I told you it was fake science. Of course, yeah. that, that seems way too obvious. It's like, oh, however, it's, my head. Oh, oh, it's, rub- okay. it's rubbing okay. my hair away. <laughs> Dirty hats can, however, lead to scalp infection, which in turn accelerates hair loss. So either make sure yours is clean or or rotate frequently. Rotate your hat. Yeah, I think like wear a different hat. Huh. Yeah, see, my mind mine went to like, you know, uh, change it like uh like 45 degrees every half hour yeah exactly yeah you're like sherlock holmesing it yeah, yeah. two hats at once <laughs> one forward one backwards you switch them around yeah yeah you gotta wear just wear it to the side well i mean for paul he can't do that now because if he wears his hat anything but directly to the front tony Larusso will come up and fucking punch him in the face he yeah, doesn't even I work know. for the cardinals anymore but he'll come <laughs> the ghost of tony Larusso, who's not dead <laughs> he's not dead <laughs> <laughs> all right let's move on this has been fun and we're not we're not baseball analysts at all <laughs> judging on the past 10 minutes or, of conversation or, because or, it, or hair fo- follicle scientists apparently i think i think we're closer to hair follicle scientists because of perennial mvp candidate who's been an all-star for the last six years just got traded and the more the, we talked more about the direction that he wears his hat <laughs> than about the way he plays baseball <laughs> oh, the brand is strong look on everything, I gave everything and got nothing back. Ain't looking for it, no pedal backs. That ain't how we got. Where the fuck we at? Mama called, where the fuck you at? On the road and ain't coming back. It's in my hundred stacks, make a hundred racks. And that hundred racks bring a bundle back. I was blowing gas like the honey badger. JID beat the money snatcher. Alex, we're recording this Sunday morning. Last night, Kyler Murray, the ace first round draft pick, and the quarterback of the Oklahoma Sooners won the Heisman Trophy. And in line with some of the stuff that we've seen in the last six months to a year, a player was on a large scale and somebody went on Twitter and searched his old tweets and they found uh, a few, I think like three or four 
homophobic tweets that he had sent when he was like, I think, 14 or 15 or something like that. And so he's the next in a long line of players with bad tweets in all caps. And this is a story that we've been talking about for a long time because it's it's in line with a lot of the things that we talk about, about the toxic culture in baseball and in sports in general. Um, these tweets, I will say, were, I think I should say that there are there's a scale to some of these tweets. They weren't Josh Hader, you know, they weren't they weren't Sean Newcomb, but they still warranted an apology, which he tweeted out in the early hours of Sunday morning um, after after he had, I guess, decompressed from everything that was going on from the Heisman ceremony and whatnot. I don't think there's been any news on it as of the time we're recording in terms of like another statement other than the one that he tweeted out. But, you know, we've talked about Kyler Murray a lot on this show because he's exciting and he's a an interesting two-sport prospect, which is something that we haven't seen in a while, especially with how good he's been in both sports. So we felt like we needed to talk about it, despite the fact that it's not it's not terribly different from a lot of the stories that we've seen so far and already discussed. Yeah, did you have immediate reactions to these? I mean, these conversations are always tough and you and I are also not always the most qualified people to be talking about this just given our respective statuses in society and um, lack of identities that may be um, marginalizing Um, you know I, I think of Murray's tweets basically are he called uh friends of his queers, right? So essentially throwing around a slur and intending it in a, in a homophobic way. Like you said, not not Josh Hader levels of him just tweeting how much he hates gay people. Um, there are certainly levels to this. And, this. and that almost makes this conversation harder because you can't necessarily lump them together. And it forces us to have these more these harder conversations that don't necessarily point the finger at at Murray specifically, but force us to reckon with the society that like cultivates this sort of thing, right? Um, Murray was like fourteen or fifteen when he was sending these things, uh, and he was a kid. And I'm not just going to do the thing where we just kind of wave our hand and be like, he was a kid. It doesn't matter because like it does matter because it says a lot about the environment that he grew up in and the fact that so many athletes and non-athletes too, right? We're also this weekend, Kevin Hart stepped down from hosting the Oscars because of old tweets that resurfaced of his, right? I mean, yeah, it, com- it comes for everyone. Point. Those tweets were far more despicable. They were, they were far worse. Yes. Um, but it forces us to reckon with this, the fact that so many people harbor these sorts of ideas or grow up in spaces where it is safe for them to do it or or where they are in a majority position where they really feel okay doing that. And I think it, we need to kind of confront the sort of culture that condones this sort of thing, right? And I know this is years old, but it still happens today, right? It shows that like anyone, the least likely people can pop up and it's casually throw these words around. And th- I think that needs to be interrogated. Yeah, you mentioned that he there's been a lot there's been a lot of like conversation about how he was 14 or 15 and about how these aren't quite as heinous as someone like Josh Hader who was just straight tweeting like white power. <laughs> um 
which is insane that that still happened and we just let that pass by as a collective baseball community. But yeah, there's been this kind of more aggressive backlash towards this because, you know, there's been a lot of like verified people on Twitter being like, come on, this kid was 14 or 15 and this is all he said. And uh, you guys just want fame for exposing someone on the night of him winning his Heisman and all these different things. And USA Today were the people that initially reported it. And they've gotten a lot of backlash for kind of being like controversy merchants in a way, like kind of trafficking in this weird economy of surfacing old people's tweets that we have now. Um, I think a lot of this stuff stuff probably happens organically. Uh, Like it's just like a fan going back on his Twitter and noticing. um, And then it kind of cycles and then a news outlet aggregates it. But I wasn't watching closely enough when it happened to see if that was the case here. But I think USA Today was the one that made it really popular. um, And that kind of put the magnifying glass on it. And I don't know, a lot of people are panning them for this. It's such a complicated conversation to have about like what a news outlet should do in this instance. Like, of course these are four offensive tweets. Of course this is newsworthy because he just won the Heisman trophy and he was a first round draft pick for the Oakland athletics. But it does make me a little queasy, you know, I don't know how to describe it, but like, it makes me a little queasy that like over and over, like, I guess not in every case, but a lot of the times, like it happens on like the night of the Heisman, like, it almost sort of like undermines what the actual conversation should be. And that's the part that makes me queasy, right? It's that like, why are we waiting until the big moment to talk about this? You know, like why is, why is that the moment that this clears the bar worth being talked about? It's not only newsworthy because he won the Heisman. It's newsworthy because this is the culture that we're a part of. And it's always newsworthy to be talking about this. Like the fact that it usually only comes out during the all-star game and Josh haters in Josh Hader's case, or it only comes out during the Heisman and Kyler Murray's case. Like it's almost like we're setting a precedent of the only time it's worth talking about people's horrific views is if they're famous, obviously for USA today, like that's the case. They can't write about like John Smith's racist views in wherever John Smith lives. But like, I think we should be careful about the way that we set precedent for what is conversation worthy. You know, and if you didn't have tweets that got dug up that exposed some abhorrent views, then like you're good, you're clean, right? But if you did have something come up, well, then like you're canceled, right? Like you can't root for this person or anything like that. And I'm certainly not advocating anyone go root for Josh Hader or anything like that. But you're right that it's like it kind of gets caught up in this 24 hour news cycle where something, you know, this person has their big moment, they're on the big stage, and then the tweets come up and it kind of derails the conversation. And then we just move on. And when we talk about it, about it down the road, there's always that kind of but added to the end, right? Like, oh yeah, Kyle, Kyler Murray, but like remember his tweets. And it's like, this is not doing anything productive to the conversation other than trying to like take like famous people down a peg or something like that. And it's like, none of these people, whether or not they tweeted out a a gay slur or not, so many people, the majority of people likely have 
said something, whether on purpose or not, that was some sort of transgression against a marginalized group. And for us just to kind of be like, we paint things in such black and white terms that it's like, well, if you have these bad tweets, then you can't be a good person. And it's like, well, that doesn't really get to the to the root of the issue. Uh, you're going to be disappointed in a hell of a lot of people if that's the way that we just go about society. And like, we should. We should be disappointed in each other. That's okay. But just kind of canceling people and then moving on from that does nothing to actually look at like what it is inside of us that has allowed these ideas to kind of fester through society and remain today in what, in theory, would a lot of people would think is the most progressive time in history. Uh, and yet a lot of people still think this way. So that's the more important conversation to have. And like you said, not at the height of this person's famous moment, right? Like just try to steal the spotlight from it. Uh, it's, it is pretty disingenuous in that way. There's a certain level of frivolity to just talking about the tweets that makes it an easier pill to swallow for people. It's like taking our medicine, like, oh, we looked at the tweets and now that's it. Because like a tweet is a tweet. It lives on whatever. It's dumb. We all think of Twitter as this dumb thing that happens and we all just opt into it for whatever reason. But like only thinking about it in terms of the tweets really just makes it like this tiny little thing that we can down the line eventually forget about. I think like in a way it's less of a visceral reaction than someone like John Rocker because like those were things he said to a reporter. So like he was thinking it out loud to a real human person, flesh and blood that he knew could write it. And so that's suddenly like a lot more heinous when I don't know, man, I think like 30% of MLB players at that time and probably at this time still probably were like, you know, he has a point. And if John Rocker had tweeted that stuff, he would delete it and we would be like, uh, he had a he had a, a bad moment, short-sighted moment, and everybody tweets dumb stuff from time to time. And it's just this way to like take our medicine by by just writing about it as like tweets. It decontextualizes the issue by using a social media platform to talk about it. And I don't know, like I don't think that Kyler Murray I, I really don't know. I don't know Kyler Murray. I've never met him. Would like to meet him, I guess, and talk about this issue with him, which is never going to happen. Come on the pod. Um, I don't I don't think like these tweets don't lead me to believe that he has like some deep seated hatred towards the LGBTQ community. But like, I don't I don't know. Like, well, it's like, I mean, that's that's just it, right? It's like he doesn't have to harbor a deep hate towards these communities to, like, still have this kind of stuff, like, inside him. Like I said, like a lot of us do, right? And that's just the point is, like, you might be doing stuff without even knowing that you're doing it, right? You're not knowing or or intending to hurt another group of people. And yet this stuff has pervaded society so much that it just feels casual at a certain point. You're just kind of throwing around this word and not necessarily thinking about the weight that it carries or who it affects. Um, and there's there really are levels to it, right? You can't just be like, oh, well, he either likes gay people or he doesn't. And like, yeah, that's true. But like, you can still be like, oh yeah, like I, like I love the LGBTQ community and still use words that are offensive to them. Right. Like it's not so, it's not so black and white with that. I agree. I wish we lived in a perfect world where people would delete their tweets, but also acknowledge their former views and the things that brought them to those views. 
and the way that baseball informed those views, you know, like, I mean, I played baseball for like a decade and you know how many times this word was thrown around as a slur for someone who didn't feel like practicing that day or for somebody who got hit with a pitch and it hurt. I I can't even count the amount of times that worse slurs were thrown around for like my seventh and eighth grade team. And there were coaches there that overheard it. And there were, I imagine, probably people on my team who didn't feel great about hearing that at some point in my baseball playing career. And guess what? No one said anything. And that's the reason that Kyler Murray tweets this. That's the reason that Josh Hader feels comfortable tweeting these things. Like, if you get away with it in front of a lot of other people, including people who are supposed to be your mentors in coaches that are supposed to be the infrastructure that are supposed to weed this stuff out, even though a lot of these coaches probably harbor some of these views, you, then you're just never going to learn how to unlearn. Yeah. I don't know. Kyler Murray, do better. <laughs> yeah, man. And also uh, play baseball. While you're at it, don't choose football. You can you can make amends by choosing the better sport. Yeah, I don't know if that's true. Make amends <laughs> in a in a better way. Yeah, uh, his the the apology was pretty half hearted too. It was like I apologize for the tweets that have like come to light, and like I didn't mean to like I didn't mean to hurt anyone. And I'm like, all right, y'all. Like someone needs someone needs to advise these people on how to better make amends for the stuff that you've done in the past rather than just being like, I was a kid, I was immature, I didn't mean to hurt anyone. And it's like, I get that you didn't mean to hurt anyone, but like you clearly did, right? Like, I don't know, man. It's a it's a tough look, certainly. That is the like root of the issue though, is that like that's the when it's a tweet, like that's all we require as an apology. If it was in person, if he had yelled this at someone in person like a week ago or something, then I think he would have had this whole big press conference and this whole big statement. But like that, this speaks to what I was talking about with like the tweet is just frivolous to people. And that's what's so frustrating about like people like Clay Travis who wait for this moment where they can just be like, all right, now it's gone too far. And like now their take is valid. And the PC culture is ruining everything now. And Kyler Murray can't even enjoy his Heisman because every this is a witch hunt for everything. We see this with every single issue where marginalized communities are just trying to have their voice heard. And finally, society starts to hear their voice just a tiny little bit. And then the hegemony is like, nope, let's take, let's take back the reins here. We've been waiting for our moment, and here's our moment. And it feels kind of like Kyler Murray is the moment for bad tweets from sports players. You know, it's the moment where Clay Travis was like, I can't believe that we would even be exposing this for someone who was 15. I'm like, well, he exposed it his goddamn self. Yeah. He tweeted it and it's still there. His Twitter is verified. He has probably what, like 50,000 people following him on Twitter. And he, you got to know you sent these tweets in the back of your head. I mean, pe- I don't know about Kyler Murray's memory banks. I don't know how his brain works. But I mean, if you tweeted off problematic shit in 2012, you know. You know who you were in high school, unless you're just completely not thinking about it, which is the root of the issue also. So, Clay Travis, go to hell. That's how I have to end the segment. Yeah, facts.
As you uh, as you mentioned just before we started officially recording this segment, uh, the conversation around the shift basically started when Rob Manfred got into office like three years ago. Um, because as you so eloquently phrased it, um, he uh, gets off on making baseball a worse product. <laughs> and yeah, I've, expose my off I am, recording ex- I am exposing you for this. Uh, and <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's some truth to that probably. Um, and this, the, the conversation of the shift has come up once again. And I think it, it kind of stems from this Jason Stark article uh, over on The Athletic where he talks about what if baseball killed the shift and support is expanding within the game. There's a quote in here that says it's basically a layup to get approved by the players. And there's this whole conversation that's just expanding because more and more people are taking this as like a serious idea. Um, I think that our take over here is that it's a seriously ludicrous idea, but I people really dislike the shift for for some reason because they think that it's the reason that hitters are bad anymore. And it's like, no, everyone just throws 100 miles an hour. Come on, Rob, this is math. Come on. Um, it is just a math problem. It, it is just a math problem. But... Um, you know, that said, we are perhaps barreling towards a future where the shift is banned. Uh, Bobby, I know that as I've been talking right now, you're like a tea kettle that's like ready to burst with your I'm stewing. with your with your shift Rob Manfred take. So hit me with it. First of all, okay, I'm ready. <laughs> Thank you for throwing it to me. I'm fucking fired up because this is ridiculous. I don't even know why now. Why is the conversation coming up now? It can't just be because Jason Stark wrote an article because Jason Stark wouldn't have written an article unless something was happening in around the league, you know, like with the executives. That's that's my first point. I guess it's just because Rob Manfred has succeeded in suppressing player wage. So he has no other fucking he has no other M.O. now. He just he won. He's like nobody makes any money. The Congress passed that bill so minor leaguers make like 40 cents an hour. And Rob Manfred is just like, damn, I got to the peak of the mountain earlier than I thought I was going to. Now what do I do? (laughs) And I don't get the impulse to just change baseball. I mean, like when we decided we were going to start talking about this, we were looking for a third segment for the show because we'd never come up with segments for the show in more than 20 minutes in advance for when we start recording. We were talking about that, that ridiculous rule change idea where the team winning only gets two outs. The one that was proposed in the Wall Street Journal that got absolutely flamed on Twitter and elsewhere and on our podcast. If you haven't heard that, that was that was peak tipping pitches. Just us just roasting a NYU scientist or whatever the hell happened there. <laughs> this impulse to change baseball is just, it's bad because fundamentally baseball is a game that just changes itself. And like you said, the reason that hitters are bad is not because the shift. I mean, the shift takes away like at most like what two to three hits per game. Yeah. And over the course of a season, sure, it has an outsized effect on some left-handed hitters, but like left-handed hitters don't even make up half of the hitters in baseball. And if you wanted to get some of those two to three hitters back, I hate that I'm about to undermine my DH argument, but like you would just put the DH in both leagues if that's really the way you felt about this. And I just am not for stifling innovation from teams. Someone was like, this is a good idea. Let's try it. It worked. And then Rob Manfred was like, we can't possibly have this. We can't have teams figuring out how to play the game well. That wouldn't be fun at all. Like, instead of just opting for something that's 
I would say that seems more radical, but I would say is not as radical, like moving the mound back like a couple inches or like an inch per year. We instead are just like, let's ban the shift because Pete Rose went on Fox Sports and said that it was dumb. Like I just don't, I don't know. Why don't we f- make everyone bunt? Why don't we just say you have to bunt three times per time through the order? That'll fix it. It'll be fun. We'll get fast players back. Why don't we say you're only allowed to hit two home runs per game? Let's just make up willy-nilly rules just for fun. Why don't we say you have to stand within a circle? We'll put circles for every position. You have to stand within that circle, and if you're outside of that circle, you get ejected. New rule. I just made it up. Cool. Let's do it. <laughs> I'm going to keep my mic off until you finish. I just I just want you to <laughs> keep going. Get it all out, bud. I'm going to let you finish, but... Uh... <laughs> No, like, I just don't, it's just, (laughs) I just don't get it. It's just such, it's such a minuscule thing. I genuinely don't know why this man can't just go to bed at night, wake up in the morning and say, baseball is fine as it is. Let me deal with suppressing people's wages more. Just like, stay in your lane, chief. One, let's get him out of here. But two, just like, just stay in character. You clearly, he clearly doesn't care about baseball. So why is he so concerned about the on-field product? Yeah, well... Okay. Because if, uh, if he cared about baseball, the whole... I'm sorry. You should have kept your mic off. If he cared about baseball, then the whole pace of play thing would have never unfolded the way that you so expertly pointed out that it unfolded last week and the way that you tweeted about hilariously where he's just standing up spinning a, a wheel of pace of play and looking back at the crowd and, and Price is Right and seeing if they like it. He went from being like, yeah, the pace is too slow to being like, ah could make a little more money off this uh the pace is just fine as it is there's just a direct line you're just outing yourself chief it's clearly just about money once you found out that people could bet more and make more money in vegas like then you reneged on your whole literally the crux of your entire commissionership is pace of play that's the thing that you are identified with rob manfred that is the one issue the one baseball issue that is going to be identified with your reign you put clocks in the minor leagues you put pitch clocks in the minor leagues you put a clock on the scoreboard that every fucking beat writer wrote an article about in terms of like how fast you have to get out between innings that is your issue that's your thing you took away the intentional walk which apparently is going to save four seconds per game maybe <laughs> the, the best thing about the whole face to play thing is that when rob manfred is no longer commissioner and who knows how long who knows how long he's going to be there he's not going to have made a single dent in pace of play, like 10 years down the road, he's still going to be yelling about it. Or, you know, 20 years down the road, when history books are being written about this point of time in baseball, it's going to be like, yeah, we had a commissioner who was, you know, big and like blustery about pace of play, and he wouldn't shut up about it. And the average game time went from three hours and seven minutes down to Three hours and five minutes. So Commissioner Rob, down. Commissioner Rob, it's I know, it's, it's, still, it's still going up. Like nothing he's doing is working. <laughs> um, yeah. It, it, <laughs> like we, your ass like, is showing Rob Manfred, like you, you don't really care about baseball. It's not about baseball for you. You clearly just care about money. You're a fucking lawyer. That's the reason you have the job. Yeah. <sighs> Sorry, I interrupted you again. Go ahead. No, you're fine. Um, <laughs> I mean, we have dunked on Rob Manfred a lot uh, on this show in particular. But the the shift is particularly egregious because it's one of these things that, like, it's another non-issue, really. Like, you're trying to put a Band-Aid on a problem 
it's like scraping your elbow and putting a Band-Aid on your knee is really what it's like. Because it's like, the shift is not the thing that's killing offense, my guy. Guess what? You want some stats? I got some stats for you, Rob Manfred. Batting average on balls in play in like the last decade and a half is not down. Nope. Like, it's it has remained pretty consistent around 300. That means the balls that it's self-explanatory, the balls that get hit in play, like hitters are reaching base the same amount since 1993. So that's not changing. Uh, are, well, but fly balls are probably up, right? Because batters are trying to hit it over the shift more. Nope, not true. Fly ball uh, percentage has also remained consistent because baseball players are uh, consistent creatures and the game has not changed that much despite you, what you might want to think. The ball is leaving the park more because you've juiced them, but the fly ball revolution is a myth. So scratch that one off. Um, oh, but batters are striking out more. Well, that can be blamed on the shift, right? Oh, it's because everyone throws 100 miles an hour now. So the pitchers are better. That's fine. But the hitters are not bad just because of the shift. Like, nope. they are, they're, they're getting on base less because all of your pitchers are insanely good. So come up with a way for batters to just hit more line drives. Just teach them to react to that better. But the shift, banning the shift isn't going to do anything substantial other than try and cut more corners into a game that like, I don't know, it's just more hoops to jump through that you don't need. Like, and it fundamentally alters the fabric of baseball in a way that is going to have no tangible impact on the, on the road and the game. I don't even know. I don't even know what to say about it, but it's Rob, yeah. Rob Manfred is the president of the born on third thinking he had a triple club. Like he was handed MLB which had local TV rights deals that were built on the backs of really passionate fans who love baseball. And he's just completely ignored that. He's obscured all of that by trying to tinker with bullshit in the game and trying to act like he actually cares about it. And he's like, oh yeah, MLB is doing well. MLB just sold for $5 billion to Fox Sports, blah, blah, blah. All these different things. I'm like, you didn't do any of that. You know what you did? You just tried to ruin people's lives in the minor leagues. Congratulations. You didn't make MLB good. You're ruining it. You are actively stifling better baseball players by the fact that they can't make enough money to eat. You want hitters to get better? Maybe you should fucking feed them in single A. The shift is clearly, it's not the thing that is making hitters that much worse. It does have an impact on some hitters. Sure. It's not going to fix the problem. I just, I don't really have that much more to say about it. That Jason Stark article, basically he comes to the conclusion that the shift would create just under three extra hits per team per month. And they'd mostly be Good. singles. So Yo, I would I would feel those hits though. Yeah. Those right. singles, I would do, you know, those six claps that I would have in that month. I mean, I'd really feel that. And my arms would be tired. The 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 kicker to this slate article says they're real solutions, but they affect every single pitch. Banning the shift would mostly just change the angle from which fielders watch the batter strike out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yes, elite, my guy. Elite kicker. All right, you have anything else to yell at Rob Manfred into the ether? Because clearly he doesn't care about baseball enough to fucking come on our podcast. He's a coward. <laughs> um, no, I just I just want to implore him to like 
let baseball run its course. We've said this before, but like baseball lasted has lasted more than a century. And just because there is all of a sudden a noticeable trend in the game over the last few years doesn't mean you need to course correct. Like, can you imagine if we did that every time there was like something slightly different about baseball? You know, like, can you? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. It's, it just, Band, it doesn't, it doesn't really make sense. When Ricky Henderson was playing. Yeah, and if you exactly. think about it, it was an unfair advantage for the offense. Yeah. Because he was have, so good. We should have pushed the fence back when Barry Bonds was around, honestly, because it was way too easy for everyone to hit home runs. Like I, I mean, yeah. Baseball will survive. It'll survive long past you, Rob Manfred. So leave your little fingers off of it. <laughs> All right, Alex, that rant reminded me of a just a quick little closeout segment that we wanted to do. Everybody's tweeting out. Everybody's telling on themselves. They're tweeting out their Spotify most listened to songs of the year. Y'all stay listening to Drake. That's fine. I love him too. But uh, we're going to do the same thing. We're going to tell on ourselves and look back on the stuff that we talked about too much this year. Um, I think chief in that would probably be Rob Manford ruining baseball, but I don't think he would be our number one. What do you think we talked about the most this year? I think that the honor can only can only go to our our large son of Jesus, <laughs> Timothy Richard Tebow. Yeah, it's got to be. There's nobody else that would. I mean, in terms of airtime, I yeah. think. I mean, it, or or in, in, in appearances week to week, honestly, Definitely because for the too. longest time we had weekly check-ins on our boy. Yeah, um, I think maybe airtime probably Rob Manfred would take it, but like how many, how many times he appeared, it would be Tim, and then and then second with a late push would be Bryce Harper and his beautiful head of hair that is no more. Yeah, frankly, he's uh, he's made a lot of appearances just over the last month or two. I think because. We've had the the swirl of his free agency news, and then a the picture swirl of his, of his perm, perm. The swirl, the swirl of his hair. Um, yeah, we've uh, we've gotten a lot of mileage out of that, and frankly, that one's not over. Like we're still we're going to keep you updated on his hair exploits throughout this whole off season. Yeah. And you know, I haven't forgotten about going to blind barber. I'm just waiting for the right moment. So I know when I'm going to be there. The in podcast a few weeks. is really dead. Yeah. I'm going to be there in a few weeks and we're going. I hope you know this. We're yeah. going to pull together our money so that I can get one haircut at Blind Barber. I'm so down. Um, all right. Maybe hair will be the topic that we revisit in 2019 at the end of the year for our Tipping Pitches Spotify songs of the year. But um, we'll have to wait and see. Big old booty, gotta jump, gotta do me, gotta plan, gotta duty, gotta dance, gotta boogie. I'm a fan, gotta stand, gotta cam. It's a movie, make my gram look like cams, like a if you have input on what you want to be our most talked about thing in the coming year, please hit us up at tippingpitchespod at gmail.com, tipping underscore pitches on Twitter. Um, leave us a leave us a review in iTunes. That's my plug for this week. As always, go to Radio Public, but my real plug is leave us a review in iTunes. I haven't seen a new one in a while. And we know some of y'all are out there. And we very, 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 very much appreciate all and any support that we've gotten in 2018. Alex, you got anything left for the people? The Rob Manfred hating, Bryce Harper hair loving people. 
I think that that about does it for us this week. Expect us to continue combing the Twitter feeds, the the social media feeds of Bryce Harper and Manny Machado. Frankly, we're going to be looking for clues about where they're headed next. You know, does does Bryce's hair swirl in just this way that spells out New York? Maybe it does. You know, like if he uh, if he's listening to. New York, New York by Frank Sinatra. Is he going to the Yankees? I think that he is. So we gotta we gotta keep that on lockdown because that's gonna be the, the key to the future for us. Yeah, we're gonna sleuth. Yeah. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will be back next week. Yeah. See you then guys. Over the seas with my girl, cause she overachieving. Don't put nobody over her king. Love my life, try to ride my day. I'm so glad I just started recording before you did that. (laughs) Incredible. Thank you. Next is a fucking banger.